Hey there, we're Megan, Lauren, and Lindsay. We're three teacher advocates who've been where you are and know what you're going through. We believe that teachers are as important to the education system as the curriculum, and our goal is to support you as a teacher and a person. This is everything your teacher prep didn't prepare you for. Welcome to Real Teaching 101. Happy New Year, everybody. I know this episode is coming out like two weeks after the New Year, but we haven't officially said Happy New Year to you live on an episode. So Happy New Year! 2023 is here. You can't see it, but I'm doing handshaking. Uh, Megan and Lindsay, talk to me about 2023 so far. Lindsay, you start. <laughs> oh. Um, I feel, well, like, to be very honest, I'm. it's like the second week of January and I just did Christmas with my in-laws. So I feel like it's like the holidays are still dragging through my house. I still have all my Christmas stuff up. I got to get it all down this weekend. It feels like January 99th. Like mm-hmm. it's just like never ending. But my birthday's coming up. So that's exciting. That's Woo! right. That's exciting. On a side note, do you know the word that's not really a word, but it's a word for me of people who keep their Christmas decorations up longer than necessary and or year round? No. What's your, what's the word? The word is called a nurkle. Oh, can you um, explain? Well, there was a book that I had in my classroom once, and it was like words that aren't in the dictionary but should be. And this was one of the words. And the idea was that it was people who like keep their Christmas lights on up all year round because they don't want to take them down. And it drives me crazy. Now, what do you consider? What do you consider too long? Like, what do you think the cutoff date is? Honestly, for me and my family, we are cleaned up by like 10 a.m. on December 26th. Really? Yes. We pride ourselves when we used to have a real tree of being the first tree out on the street. Like, we don't mess around. This year, we waited until the lengthy date of December 28th. But usually, we are packed up. It is it is all gone and has disappeared. Come New Year's, it is just like, whatever. Like, it never happened. Hmm. Oh, that is so not me. But like, the deep catholic roots everything stays up through epiphany oh, so wow. epiphany is january 6th when the three kings yeah mm-hmm. you know made it to baby jesus so you would keep everything up till then but however i will tell you both of my sisters are the same way as you lauren so what do you guys do with your your real trees this is a, just a question when you're done well we don't have a real tree now because i upgraded into an artificial tree um, but prior to that, we would just leave it on the curb because that's what you do, at Does least in our city. Come pick yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah, that's a California thing. That's not what happens oh. here. We Wait. can't just leave our tree out. You oh, have to you're take kidding the recycling. me. No, there's like specific places where you take the trees and they're recycled into mulch. Oh, no, here it's just out on the curb. But yeah, if you just left a tree on the street here, it would stay there. I feel like that's what would happen here because I didn't see any trees just out and about. I'm completely baffled by the fact that you don't just walk it out your front door and put it out on the street. Because I was like, if it's that easy, I'll do that. <laughs> well, you I mean, it's biodegradable. I don't see why you technically couldn't. But that I don't have a super long time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just California here doing the recycling green thing. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I don't have a green trash can. My yard waste goes in my regular trash. Right. Okay. We've really gone off the rails here, y'all. So I'm going to rate us in <laughs> to our topic. Because as the leader of this episode, that's my job. So we're talking about artificial intelligence, which is like a huge topic, and we'll dive into it presently. But before we do that, I want to talk about like evolving technologies. And I want to ask you to jump in your Wayback Machine when you were a kid. And I want you to think about 
Was there any technology that was like that came out and teachers were like, oh, no, you definitely cannot have this in the classroom. And the only thing that I can think about when I reflect on that question, and it didn't really apply to me, but it applied to my brothers who are older than I am. And that was the calculator wristwatch and how that was like a huge no, no, you could not have it because then you could cheat on your math exams. Uh, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, death of education. But I couldn't really think of anything else that was that big of a controversy as far as developments technology-wise. So I was wondering if you could think of anything or had any stories or even like, did your parents tell you when such and such came out, it was a big educational game changer? No, I was thinking, so my first thought was calculator too, but probably like the fancy scientific calculators because they did get to one point where you could like store other information in there. Mm -hmm. So I remember in high school, there being a thing about like, they were very strict about like walking around and I guess just monitoring because you had to use them. But then like, not that I ever even knew how to, (laughs) I couldn't even cheat with them if I wanted to. Wait, you didn't pass notes on your scientific calculator? No. Oh. I, I mean, was also in Catholic school for most of my education, and so wearing a watch would not have even been a thing either. <laughs> oh, I definitely use the scientific calculator to pass notes, because that's clearly what it was used for. No, but I definitely figured out how to do boobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> calculator. Yeah, yes. or hello, where you like flip it and it says hello. Yeah. I was a little more innocent yeah. than Megan, apparently. I think <laughs> I only spelled out boobs. All right. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Lindsay, what say you? You know... I had a teacher in middle school who was like super anti-internet and so like would still make like I'm old enough, I guess, where like the internet became more accessible when I was like starting to get into that age. Like we had a, a computer lab still where you had to go to the get to go use the computers and they were those really big um, Mac ones that if you like dropped it on your foot, you'd break your foot. Do I remember those? They had like the blue back. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, you're back. so much. You're so much younger than me because that is not what my computer lab consisted oh. of. I thought those Macs with like the colorful backs were like breaking new technology. I had like the old. It was like the tiny screen, and you had to put in the disc for Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm. No, I never. And that was that. our computer lab. <laughs> No, I never did that because I had um, – we did Mavis Beacon on them to learn how to type. I remember mm-hmm. that. But I had this one teacher who was totally against the internet and was like, it's going to ruin education and nobody's going to use this in a few years. Like you need to learn how to do – look up research in encyclopedias and would re- insist on – like I was writing a paper about Benjamin Franklin, I remember very clearly because I had to do all this research in books. And at the time, it wasn't like that weird because I hadn't really done internet research. But now looking back, I'm like – it's wildly inefficient. And like kids today will never even use an encyclopedia. So, or know what it is. Um, so I think that was probably the first time a teacher was like, this piece of tech is going to ruin your life. I love that they thought it wasn't going to be yeah. <laughs> used in a few years. It, was it wasn't going to catch on. No, it yeah. was a fad and it was just going to, it was going to, you know, it was coming and then it was going, it was not going to stick around. He was sure. Okay. So then from the teacher side, has there been a technology that you've experienced using in your classroom or that you've seen your students using where you're like, oh boy, this thing is going to be like uh, the death of me or I hate it or yurg and yarg and whatnot. I think of telling my class, Google is not a source. Like right. the the technology well, like, yeah. banes of your existence where it's like, this is clearly a problem, but it's not like the death of education type of a problem. 
I'll tell you the biggest problem lately in my time with, and you guys know mostly, well, all of my teaching experience is little kids, Mm -hmm. early childhood. Um, So I can't really think of anything there because I was big on like a balance between everything. Like I wanted to incorporate all the tech, but also they still needed to like use blocks and manipulatives and be able to like build those fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was definitely one of those people who was like everything in moderation. But when it comes to the middle schoolers I've been spending lots of time with lately, one tech thing that keeps coming up is I don't think they grasp the idea of like, the internet is forever. And just because you delete something doesn't mean it's ever gone. Mm -hmm. So like we've had quite a few things lately where it's like, so-and-so said this thing. It only took one person to take a screenshot. So I've really been trying to like drill that. They're probably so tired of hearing it from me, but really like drill that to them. And I'm like, you don't want to, you know, be running for office one day or ready to like, I don't know, be an astronaut. And then all of a sudden, this stupid thing you said in middle school pops up all over the news because you weren't careful with what you were publishing out there. And I think like in this generation of Snapchat and TikTok and where anything can like only be briefly on the internet or so they think, I think there's a dangerous thing there. But maybe I sound like just an old person even saying that. No, I was going to jump right on that. I think that... (laughs) social media is the downfall of society. Um, <laughs> I, I use all sorts of social medias, but I do think that it's a real hindrance. Instagram and TikTok and all of these things. I think I've noticed in the last you know, few years in the classroom that girls are constantly comparing themselves and you know, I don't look like so-and-so who's my age and, you know, they're an Instagram model or whatever, or, you know, I don't want to go to college because I'll just be a YouTube you know, star and I'll review whatever. It's really like putting these like false, I don't know, like false dreams. Like that's not, not everybody can do that, you know? And I get that not everybody can be an Olympic athlete or not everybody can be a doctor. Like there's those things, but like there, it's just creating such a false sense of reality. Absolutely. I see that too. And the one thing I see with the middle schoolers that I work with is how easily distracted they are. It's like the idea of the extension, the Chrome extension, and they can be in class and have their computer app and kind of look like their documents working, but the Chrome extension, that's some sort of game, then they're off to the side and like playing a game. So this idea that what's happening in my reality, I'm not interested in, so I'm going to look for something else to occupy my time and the accessibility of that. And I think that kind of idea of I'm not invested in the reality kind of plays a little bit into this artificial intelligence kerfuffle that is chat GPT. Spoiler alert, that's what we're going to be talking about very soon. Um, Kind of comes in and that I think is where some of the interesting parts of technology evolving comes in, which is the ease and efficiency at which these things are now operating and the lack of investment otherwise that might come from the student end. So the other thing I was thinking of when you were talking was instant gratification and how it seems like students now don't know how to be bored, like even for a few seconds. And I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but like kids in my class would be like, oh, can you put like a storyline online for like the less than 30 seconds it was going to take me to pass out their papers? I'm like, no, just talk to each other, like just constantly wanting to be entertained And I think that, like, Lindsay, what you were saying is like a social media thing, too, where it's like there's just all of this 
entertainment at your fingertips. And if you get bored with this app, there's like seven other ones that you can go to. And and I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like that's maybe a negative too, but perhaps that's more of like a whole societal thing and not just school. I just notice it in school because that's what my life is. Right. So this is a very complicated topic and we're actually going to take a break and then we are going to dive a little bit more into the specific artificial intelligence of chat GPT. Welcome back from break, everybody. Lindsay has tasked us with making sure she does not do gestures like Alexis on Schitt's Creek. I know you can't see her the way Megan and I do, but just in case that comes up, that's what we are tasked to do. So, Lindsay, we're looking out for you. Thanks. You'll also hear me say I love that for you because I can't help myself. Oh, really? Yes. She does that for you. She does that all the time. She's like, oh, I love that for you. And I'm like, I said it at work the other day. And somebody's like, is that from Schitt's Creek? And I was like... Yeah. No, no, no. That's just, that's just me. Yeah. It's my new catchphrase. (laughs) Fine. So if you hear that, and I hope it's not like copyrighted or whatever. I'm going to encourage it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm going to encourage the Alexis-isms. You know, the catchphrase that I'm (laughs) going to bring back that I love, and I don't know if you'll all know where this is when I say it. Um, And uh, pardon the tangential thing, but I promise you we will get to artificial intelligence. But this quote is very important, which is, I'm right on top of that, Rose. Oh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Thank you. I I say that all the time. I I made a button that says it, and it's on a hat that I knitted because I've really leaned into it. But (laughs) don't tell mom the babysitter's dead is so fantastic of a movie. I love it. Every minute of it, it's on HBO Max. Go watch it, and then so we can good. all start saying, "I'm right on top of that rose." So good. I loved that. I loved a everything Christina Applegate, but I loved the fashion show mm-hmm. and I and the uniforms. Oh my gosh! Mm. I remember being again as a person in Catholic school. I was like, "That is not what my uniform looks like." <laughs> now, are you ready for this little nugget of information? Because I know people in the know. They are remaking "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead." Is it with Christina Applegate? I actually don't know that one. My person in the know doesn't know that, but it's coming back out. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be as good as Christina no. Applegate and all of the glory and the, that the is Sue Ellen. the boy who drove the, the ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sadly mm-hmm. enough, I think she's sick. She yeah, is. She's she got is. Yeah. MS. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very That's a bummer. I do We're like with that. you, Christina Applegate. Yes, we love, we you. love you. Okay. Artificial intelligence, anybody? Yes, yes. All right. Transition. (laughs) Okay. So first thing I want to say is artificial intelligence is not new to 2023. Like it exists in our regular every day-to-day lives. Um, I'm going to do a teacher thing of Lindsay, Megan, can you give me an example of artificial intelligence? What I can think of right away is like trying to apply to jobs and having to write your cover letters and your resume specifically because... They're probably going through an AI machine. So you're trying to put those, uh, what are the, those important the words? The keywords. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Put, trying to put those keywords in so you get to a real person. Right. They actually, the the machine is called, or the program is the ATS or the Applicant Tracking System. Yes, that is a fantastic example. Lindsay. <laughs> I'm not as deep as Megan. I was like, Alexa does everything for me. <laughs> yes, that's a perfect I, example too. I thought you were already calling back to Shit's Creek and Alexis. When oh. we started to say Alexa, I was like, how is she tying that into artificial intelligence? Like, Where are you going Okay, I'm with you. Okay, sorry. Absolutely, absolutely. That's there. And Lindsay, I'm guessing that you're watching Shit's Creek on some sort of streaming service? Yes, I watch it on Hulu right now, but I've watched it on Netflix previously because right. I can't just watch it once. <laughs> and I'm guessing that at the end of those, they also say things like, 
based on your viewing, you might also like X, Y, and Z. Yes, they also do that. That's also AI. Yay. So we have it like everywhere. It's in our phones. It's Alexa, OK Google, Siri, Google Maps uses it, Waze uses it. Anytime you try and call customer service on a 1-800 number and you're yelling operator at (laughs) a little voice thing, you are dealing with artificial intelligence. So we've had it. We've been dealing with it. But back in November, the world like busted open with oh my God, artificial intelligence is going to be the death of education because of a program called ChatGPT. So ChatGPT is owned by a company called something. Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, OpenAI. No, that's what it is. I promise <laughs> I did research. It's done by a company called OpenAI. And the GPT, in case all of you want to be educated, is stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And what that fancy terminology means is that the program follows an question answer type of format. So have you ever gone into Google and been like, what is the capital of California question mark or senior students do that and like literally ask it a question? Um, It uses that actual question to then spit out an answer, but it's way more than just a search engine because it's natural language. And this is sort of like the mind explosion blowing up. Oh my gosh. Is because chat GPT can write as if you give it like a personality or an age level, or it can write with the vocabulary of a certain type of person, which then has it mimic human conversation. So you could put into chat GPT, write me a paragraph about Martin Luther King Jr. as if I'm a third grader, and it will then spit out a paragraph about Martin Luther King as if it is a third grader. And so for a lot of people, that is like, eek, eek, eek. Okay, so as you were talking, all I kept thinking about is everything I've seen online where um, people have had... AI, like watch a bunch of um, movies and then write their own movie. Did you guys see or read this? No. There was no. one. Okay. Can I read a little bit to you real quick? I promise to make it fast. Yeah. There was a guy who had AI um, watch like a thousand hours of Hallmark Christmas movies and then write its own Christmas movie. So it says, um, small town snow globe refillery. We see single mother refilling snow globes with Christmas juice. <laughs> So it's not perfect. Oh, God. Sorry. Okay. I won't keep reading this whole thing, but I've seen quite a few of those and they're very, very funny. However, if this, you know, is you trying to educate a student to not do that, I can see why it's problematic. (laughs) Megan is literally (laughs) crying, wiping tears from her face. Um, I've seen this not from a student yet, but we've, my, my boss currently is obsessed with this thing and we'll ask it to do all sorts of like essays. And and now teachers are having it take like, like write the college board essay and have like a college board reader score it and see what they would get. And the the program is getting like four threes and fours. So passing scores, like, I think that my, where I work, my place of employment, (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're actually doing a partnership with somebody who's writing an article about chat GPT, um, in connection with an Ivy league school. And we're going to grade some essays that are written by chat GPT. And we're going to like, the focus is, does the grader know that it's a chat GPT? Can they identify that it was written by AI and not a real student? 
And I think the scary part is like some of it, like you can tell in certain pieces, they sound a little bit weird, but in others, you really can't. And I think that's the scary part for teachers. That's the scary part for districts. Like the only way to combat it is to take the typing piece out of it for kids and say, you have to handwrite this essay in front of me. Yes. And the writing part is like really hard because like you were talking about it can be like as specific as an age group mm-hmm. or like the in I don't want to say intelligence level per se like like you're not smart but like if you are trying to pass something off as being within a specific age level it can do that and as of right now right now it can't do anything current because of the date that it came out so 2021 uh no 2022 I was way wrong because last <laughs> year was 2022 Two. Yes, yes, it's 2023. I'm alive, I promise. It, it has current limitations, but based on some of the essay topics that people are giving out, like those are I don't are like almost timeless. You know, how many how often are students writing about uh Romeo and Juliet or Catcher in the Rye type of things? Like those books have been around for a real long time. Like there's lots of information that exists on it. And because of the way Chat GPT works, it's able to access all of that type of information and then very quickly parse it and provide a unique essay. That's the other thing is that ChatGPT's outputs are unique. It's not as if you can, as the teacher, go back into the Google search engine, type in the the thing that you think is plagiarized and get a response, or programs like turnitin.com aren't able to parse ChatGPT. So that really makes the question of academic honesty and dishonesty, again, really frightening for educators. You know, the other problem that I'm thinking is, and again, this is just me making an an assumption, but because of all the things you just said, Lauren, because it's not going to alert on Turnitin and you're not going to see those percentages or whatever, that leads me to believe then eventually we're going to have parents who are defending it. Mm Mm-hmm. If a teacher does ask somebody to redo something or along those lines, is it then going to become a teacher saying, you know, you don't have it listed anywhere that she can't do that. And it's not, you know, it didn't come up as plagiarism and you can't prove that kind of thing. I think that's like a whole other can of worms that could be coming. I think there's an argument from students where, you know, it is the easy way out. And I'm not saying it's not. There's a reason that we're asking them to write a paper on the Ottoman Empire, right? It's part of their curriculum. They should know it. But I can tell you, like, as an adult, like, I remember almost nothing about the Ottoman Empire. So, yes, as a teenager, I could have made that argument. Like, I am not going to do anything that requires me to know about the Ottoman Empire. So if I do this one paper using this, what difference does it make? And I know that I would have used it in college. And I think it's going to change what we're asked kids to do in school. Like, does writing an essay prove that you understood this material or that you... Did, is that the only way to now show us or is it going to go back to testing or is it, you know, like what, what does this change about how we assess student learning? You bring up two things that I kind of want to talk about, but the, the one thing I want to hit on first is the idea of, does it matter to me and like shortcuts? So in terms of the student mind, it's like, man, I really don't want to sit and have to write five paragraphs on something that I don't really care about. So I am going to take the easy way out. Mm -hmm. And it is a shortcut and it is efficient. And if it can't pass any of the whatevers, like, why not? Right. And I kind of want to hit back on that and be like, well, maybe that's the piece that we should be focusing, which is on like why education is so important and how do we make it relevant? How do we make somebody care about it? And how do we develop a character trait in people where taking the easy way out is not 
really the go-to element. Like, I think there's a, a part of character education that might be missing here that could be developed and or a sense of grit or learning about the process as opposed to the product. And whereas ChatGPT will give you the product, but it won't teach you the process. I think part of that has to do with the way we assess student learning, right? Again, it goes back to that paper is worth 90 points and you have to get them to keep your A. So I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure that happens. And whether I learn the material or not is irrelevant. So I think it like starts there. Mm -hmm. And the idea of what is student success, what is grades, and what do all of what does all of that mean within our larger society? And so I think kind of the questions of of eek or the fear comes from: Are we trying to keep the system that we currently have in place, or are we? afraid to change it into the other ways to assess student learning. So going back to the second point that I wanted that you mentioned, which is does writing an essay have to be the thing that we do? Could they draw a picture? Could they give a presentation? Could they do something that does not actually include the writing part? And and I don't want to say that writing is not important because like it absolutely is. I was an English teacher for 13 years. Like being able to express yourself is totally important. But could there be a piece where maybe the traditional five paragraph essay is not the go-to capstone for every assignment? And I mean, I moved away from doing things like that in my class. They still wrote an essay, but I've gone, I had gone at one point in my life from going to like eight ups eight essays a year to one. So it was not nearly as much, but we still wrote every day. They did writing workshop. Like we addressed a lot of different things, but it was just a different way. I was having them create videos. We were writing memes. We were doing all sorts of other creative outlets that still hit on what we were talking about, but was not five paragraphs every month. I don't think there's any place in education for the, this is how we've always done it. Like I firmly believe there are, <clears throat> excuse me, numerous ways that students can show their understanding of a topic that, you know, it does not have to be just like one traditional, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know what's happening, <laughs> one traditional way, Lauren, like what you were saying. And so maybe this is like the silver lining here. Like maybe this will almost force the hand of a lot of places who hold tight to that. This is how we've always done it. And I had to do these essays when I was in school. So you have to do these essays now that you're in school. Maybe something like this might, I don't know, like force some other places in education to have to be more creative when they wouldn't otherwise have done so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a way to rethink something. I always like to say just because something is doesn't mean it always has to be. And as I talked about at the beginning of the segment, artificial intelligence is here. There's no way we're going to be able to put it back in the bottle and be like, nope, I'm sorry, we cannot ever use it. Like, we have to figure out a way to work alongside this technology because it's not going to go away and it's going to be part of our lives. It already is. It's part of our students' lives. And especially with the explosion of ChatGPT, this is just one thing that will now become many different things. And we've also been thinking about this from the easy way out of the student perspective, but like ChatGPT could write a lesson plan too. Yeah. I mean, like there's there's instances where it's write a, a lesson on the science standard and it pulls it up with opening, exploration of guiding questions, activity, closing. So it's also a shortcut for teachers too, which I think is kind of ironic as well. I think there are lots of fun ways teachers could use it too, where like, you know, have the teacher make some of like the essays or something and then have the children have to try to figure out and grade it. Like, 
you go through and read and see if you can find like that kind of thing. I think kids would be into that, like trying to figure out which one of these is AI and which one of these could the teacher have put something together. I, I don't know, something like that. Like, yeah. I and think- I've, I've seen reports of them saying like teachers asking chat GPT to create writing samples and then using that as um, not necessarily did the computer create this or a human, but like where might it fall on a rubric and how do mm-hmm. we evaluate it for mistakes? And so in one way, when you look at it like that, it's like, oh, it's not that scary. Like it's helping me to teach. And I think that's where it becomes this essential question of is AI helping us learn or is it doing the learning for us? Like where is, how intentional is it being used? And what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on memorizing over analysis, over critical thinking? Like what are our goals and how do you leverage it so that it does the higher order of what we want our students to do and not hit the lower order of it? I also have a lot of faith in science. Um, Sorry if you can hear snoring birdie. But that being said, I feel like just like this is here now, there will be ways to monitor it in the future too. Like I turn it in wasn't always a thing. Um, I'm old enough to have submitted papers before that <laughs> came into. And that was a lot of a teacher copying and pasting to see if you had plagiarized somewhere. Um, so I do think eventually there will be ways to I don't know, safeguards maybe or or better ways to monitor it, just like that kind of thing has changed. I think this is going to go one or two ways. OpenAI has said this is a, this was our like beta product, right? Like that's what they released for free. They're actively improving this thing and working on it and like making changes and things like that. And once it goes into a paid product, I don't know what that's going to look like. And I think that's the scary part is like, they're either going to build those safeguards in, or it's going to make it a lot easier for kids to access this information. And, you know, especially the kids who, and what it's going to do is it's going to also create, like continue to widen that equity gap because the kids who can afford to buy the the software will, then they have the shortcut and, you know, it, it just, it, it's a spiral and it's not great, but I think, I think Lauren's right. I think AI is not going back in the box. It's here to stay. So it, it's time that, educators and the education system evolve with it because you can't fight it. The more we fight it, like New York just banned chat GPT from their school computers. So like students can't access it at all um, on a school computer. That doesn't say, that doesn't mean they can't go home on their laptop, write their essay on their laptop and then copy it to their school device. Like that there's kids are very creative when it comes to things like that. And the more you tell them you can't do this or you can't use it, they're going to figure out ways around it. Lauren and I worked at a school where we had all sorts of things blocked. And then another thing would pop up because kids figured out how a way to go around it. And that's kid nature, but it's also human nature, right? To push boundaries, to, you know, figure out ways around the rules. The more we fight this change in education, the harder it's going to be for teachers to um, continue down the same path because it's it's not going anywhere and kids are going to use it. So how do we use it effectively and with our teaching styles versus insisting on keeping our current teaching model and fighting the kids on using it? Something that I'm thinking of here, and Megan might smile at this, is like the idea of homework. Because what I'm hearing from this is like, when you go home, it's there. And if you have to write a five paragraph essay for homework, or you have to write a response for homework, it's like, well, what if we started to do more 
in class, not that teachers are doing more in class, but like a lot of that writing process and, and sharing out and making sure things are turned in before the end of the day, or even just getting kids to write on a regular basis. I, I, when I did writing workshop, I got to know how my students write. And sometimes they would turn something in and I'll be like, this doesn't sound like you. This is not the vocabulary you use. You don't know where that comma actually goes. I'm like, here it's appearing. And so I think that human element that we bring as teachers in the classroom like can't be replaced and how can we use that human element to our advantage to not make it so alluring i mean it's going to be it's going to creep up but like we can beat the machine how do we be humans to beat the machine and also down with all homework all right well i feel like we're hitting to the end of this so let's come back and we'll talk about some of our anti pd dips Anti-PD dips, tips. Anti-PD dips is a whole different thing that we're going to have to workshop somewhere else. Like spinach and artichoke dip. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. You know what? I bought this uh, jalapeno artichoke dip from Trader (gasps) Joe's. Y'all. Is it so good? It's so good. And then I get the organic garlic naan crackers that go with it. Holy cow. Talk about an anti-PD dip right there. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm hungry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. And we are in the anti-PD tips, not dips, part of this section <laughs> of our episode. I know I'm so funny, Megan. I love it when you <laughs> my jokes. It really bolsters my confidence. I love I'm so it. glad. So we're in the anti-PD section of our show. And usually we, we have something written down. Uh, and this time we didn't do that because we're smarter than the machine. So we're going to have our personal takeaways of this episode, three things that we would recommend to the educators out there as artificial intelligence infiltrates our world and um, how we as educators can combat the, quote, big brother that is happening. So uh, does anyone want to go first? I'll go. I feel like my biggest takeaway from this is this is not the first challenge that teachers have had. It's not the last. And every time something comes up, teachers find a way to use it, work with it, and still continue to do the best thing for their students. And I have no doubt that that will continue to happen. So I say, find those silver lining things like we talked about before. Make it work for you. Make it fun. And if COVID can't take the teacher's here down, then nothing is going to, no matter if it's like a robot or not. (laughs) I'll go next. I think my biggest takeaway is Lauren mentioned earlier, we've been living with this for years now. It's now just like seeping into the education world. So I think the biggest tip is going to be embracing it or my takeaway is embracing it and, you know, working it in and be open to using it in ways that work for you and your students I think fighting it is going to cause you more headaches than it's worth. Um, So maybe this is a good time to reflect on what you're assigning and how you're assigning it and maybe make a change and do something that's, you know, not the norm. And that would be mine. I'm going to dovetail off of that, which is rethink assessments so that what you're assessing isn't rote memorization or it can still be analysis, but maybe it's not the analysis that ChatGPT can just spit out at you, as well as being present in the classroom and like being like what I call on the ground teaching, being with your students, knowing who they are, and focusing on 
process over product. I mean, obviously you're going to have to grade something, so product is going to matter, but making it so that the easy way out doesn't have to be the easy way out because they can see themselves as people who can do and achieve because you've been with them, rooting for them along the way, showing them how to do these things. So it's not as if like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to let something else do it for me. And down with traditional homework. That's Megan's takeaway forever and always. (laughs) It's true. That and don't take your school email off your phone. I'm looking at you, every single person. You mean do take your your school email? Yes, take it off. Do not put your school email on your phone. Hills that Megan is going to die on. (laughs) Yes, again and again and again. All right, everybody, that is our episode. Thank you for listening. If you've got thoughts, reach out to us. We'd love to hear it, and we will talk to you next episode. Before you leave us today, know that you're appreciated and we know you're doing everything you can. Let's stay in touch. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at RealTeaching101 or email us at RealTeaching101 at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Ambitious Ed. Thanks for listening today and we'll see you next class.